So, hey, look, my name's Jeff. Glad to have you guys here. Uh, so excited to have you here at New Life, man. We're going to have a great day today. It's going to be a lot of fun. God's got some great stuff in store for us. You've come at, in the middle of our teaching series, Mountain Peaks. That means if, you, if, you, if something happens in today's message and you're like, wow, I haven't ever been to this church before or I haven't been here during this series, I'd love to hear what the other ones were. Please visit mynewlifechurch.com where you can actually watch our previous messages. Um, I want to say hello to everybody worshiping with us online today, those that are out in our North Platte campus, and all of you that are here at the Carney campus. Just turn, turn to somebody next to you and high five them and tell them welcome to church today, all right? Just tell them welcome to church. Welcome to church. All right. Well, look, we're going to jump right in, okay? So in the Mountain Peak series, we've been looking at scripture where God meets with man on a mountain. It's pretty profound. I got it. Um, but what we do with our teaching series is we pretty much let it kind of like be a filter over God's word so that we can kind of go through God's word and find these moments and then compile them together and preach on them. And that way you have a better understanding of who God is, the character of God and the nature of God. Uh, our whole journey at new life is to figure out how to help all of us get closer, closer to God live our lives more like Christ and make an impact in this world. And so that's kind of why we go through scripture that way. Today we're going to end up in, um, in Exodus. So if you have a Bible with you, you brought it with you, we're going to be in Exodus chapters 19 all the way through 32. And if I can preach chapters 19 all the way through 32 in the time slot allotted to me, you will experience a miracle. <laughs> so get ready, people. All right. Have faith. All right. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of what we're looking at today. And if you have your uh, version app, it's a free Bible app that's online. If you've downloaded that, please search for New Life Church and uh, you should be able to find all the sermon notes that I put out there as well. So let's just jump into this. In Exodus chapter 19, Moses has led the people of Israel. He's led them out of slavery. They've been in slavery for a few hundred years um, with the Egyptians. And Moses has led them out. Now, this is a pretty popular story, so I'm not going to bore you with all the details, but basically they've gone through the Red Sea, right? The Red Sea is parted. They've escaped the armies, Pharaoh, all of the plagues happened in Egypt. I mean, they've watched miracle after miracle happen. In Exodus chapter 19, they're, on, they're in a valley, and standing before them is this famous mountain, the mountain of God, Mount Mount Sinai, all right? And Moses is being called <clears throat> to meet with God, and he goes up the mountain and he meets with God. Now, over the course of this story, you're going to find out that Moses actually ends up meeting with God on the mountain five different times, um, at least in with the passages that we're looking at. So in this first one, he goes up to meet with God, and God speaks to him, and he says basically this, in three days, Moses, get the people ready, because in three days, I'm going to do something fantastic in your midst. In three days, I'm going to come down on this mountain. My presence is coming down on the mountain. There's going to be a cloud. There's clouds on the mountain. There's going to be fire. It's going to rumble. It's going to be intense, Moses. You tell the people to consecrate themselves to me. You tell the people they better get their hearts right with me, basically. You, you tell the people that they, you know, they even had, Moses even had the people wash their clothes, if you get the picture, okay? They wash their clothes. He has them actually abstain from having sexual relationships for three days. They do a number of other things to consecrate themselves before the Lord. Three days later, God shows up in a powerful way. And the mountain basically is described acting like a volcano minus the deadly lava. All right, this is intense. Rumbling, the cloud, the fire, the smoke. It is one 
crazy intense place. And with it so intense, guess what God does? He calls Moses back up the mountain a second time. So Moses, you're going to find out, is a real mountain climber of a man. Okay? He likes, he's evidently a mountain climber. And he climbs up the mountain a second time. This time, God does something very unique. God just says to Moses, Moses, basically, don't forget Tell the people something really important. Tell them, don't touch the mountain. If they touch the mountain, they're going to die. All right, God, uh, we already told them that because you told me that the first time, but I'll go back down and I'll tell them again. So Moses goes back down. He tells the people, hey, you see what's happening? Yeah, Moses, we see it, right? Yeah, don't touch it. No problem, dude. Like, we're not touching this, all right? We're not going there. Uh, We got it all. Shortly after that, something profound happens that no... No one on earth at that time had ever experienced God from the top of the mountain starts speaking to the people. And he literally speaks to them the Ten Commandments. All of the people hear with their ears God's voice. This thunderous voice of the Lord speaking to the people, walking them through these ten basic bullet points that all of humanity now lives by. It basically governs our judicial system. It's still Ten Commandments that all of basic humanity says, yes, that's awesome. That's the way we ought to live. These Ten Commandments were given to the people. So much so that the people right afterwards say to Moses, Moses, like, you meet with God. Like, we don't want to hear from God directly anymore. Like, you meet with God. We'll listen to God through you. The people were full of fear. And then Moses went back up a third time to meet with the Lord. Here's what happens in Exodus chapter 20. So that the Lord said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. You saw for yourselves that I spoke to you from heaven. I spoke to you from the mountain just a minute ago. Now, you saw that for yourself. Now, remember, you must not make any idols of silver or gold to rival me. Two things. Number one, yes, God spoke to the people. That's driven home right in this passage. Number two, God gives them exactly what they need to hear. Like God literally says to them the very sin they're going to perform in an incident that takes place in Exodus chapter 32 that starts living it out. So here's one of the very character nature components of God that you you gotta get in your heart. God knows your future. God cares about your future so much that he'll literally give you nuggets of instruction before you ever get where you're going. And here's one of those moments that God loves his people so much that he literally says to them in passing, oh, by the way, don't forget, don't make any idols. Don't go there. You're going to be tempted to go there. Don't go there. And then while Moses is meeting on the mountain from chapters 21 through 23, God goes on to do something that many times we tend to overlook. We tend to overlook the fact that God's practical. We tend to overlook the fact that God knows the details of what's going to make life successful. Like we're looking for these aha moments. God's very practical. God's found in the details of the the practical. And for a few chapters, 21 through 23 of Exodus, that's what God gives to Moses. He literally gives him instructions on like how to treat servants, right? How to deal with violent behavior, 
What do you do? How do you deal with people that steal? Or, you know, more practically, what do you do with fair exchange between people, between a, you know, a business owner and a customer, between two friends where you loan something to someone? How do you, how do you deal with that? He even gets into the loaning and the borrowing of money and how, how, how you should live by that, by those principles. He, he gets into the practicals of, you know, sexual purity and how to, how to help orphans and what to do with widows. And he even deals with work, like what days you're supposed to work and the intensity that you should work and then the days you shouldn't work. And then he even tells them the days they should hold festivals. I mean, it gets very, very practical and we tend to overlook that. But I want you to see what happens next after the practical is given. In Exodus chapter 24, then Moses went down to the people and repeated all the instructions and regulations that the Lord had given him. All of the people answered with one voice. What did all the people say? We'll do everything that the Lord has commanded, right? Then Moses carefully wrote down all the Lord's instructions. And you find later on Moses going back to those instructions and reading them back to the people. And so here's the people saying, we hear your practical instructions, God, and we will follow these instructions. We've heard the Ten Commandments that you gave us directly, and we've heard from now your practical instructions. We will follow them. Well, guess what happens next? Moses gets called to the mountain the fourth time. So he goes up to the mountain a fourth time. This time God says to him very specifically, I want you to bring some people with you this time. I want you to bring Aaron, who's going to be the priest. I want you to bring Nadab and Abihu, and I want you to bring 70 elders. So this large group starts their way up the mountain, but God literally says to him, they're not to come all the way up the mountain. And so they walk up the mountain partway. Let's just for lack of better terms, let's just say they go halfway up the mountain and they stop and there they worship the Lord. They, it says that they worship the Lord and they eat a meal, right? And so here they are worshiping the Lord and they look up to the top of the mountain and all of these 70 plus elders, they all get a chance to see God. Now that would be pretty fantastic, wouldn't it? And it's in that moment that God calls Moses to leave them there and for them to come up and for Moses to come up to the top. So in Exodus 24, verse 14, Moses literally says to the elders, you wait here on the mountain, on the side of the mountain, you wait here until we come back to you. And then for the next 47 days, Moses is on top of the mountain meeting with God. The cloud covers it, the fire's on top of the mountain, and then from Exodus chapters 25 to 31, on top of the mountain, in that moment, God's speaking to Moses, and he's giving them again another set of very practical instructions on how to build a tabernacle, how to build an ark, and how to build this house of worship that God is going to now fill and be among his people, not on a mountaintop, but right smack in the middle of his people, and wherever, wherever God wants to lead them, a cloud will lead them, they'll pick up the tabernacle, tabernacle they'll move the tabernacle they'll set it back down they'll be setting up a priest to do priest duties he's setting up acts of worship he's setting up the way that people will come to him and he's setting it all up very practical basically Moses goes to seminary class he gets his ordination papers he figures out what it means to be a pastor and how to live as a pastor I mean he basically goes to bible school on top of the mountain for 47 days it's a very express class he gets everything he needs go back down right and make it happen oh and by the way right before he leaves God goes oh here Moses you're going to need these and he hands him these two stone tablets where God literally took with his finger and he wrote the ten commandments and the instructions that he had spoke from the mountain so that 
Moses would have something to lead the people by and that the people would never forget. God is the one who gave these to us. So that's what's happening on top of the mountain. Well, while this is taking place, there's the chapter 32, Exodus chapter 32 incident that's happening down in the valley. Here's what's going on. When the people saw, in verse 1, how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, which, by the way, how long was he up on the mountain? 47 days. Let's say it a month and a half, okay? While he's on the mountain for a month and a half, they gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said. Make us some gods who can lead us. Like, we don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. They just, like, quickly, for like a month and a half has gone by, and they're already, like, abandoning. They're abandoning their promise. Don't you remember? I had you read what they said they would do about the Lord's commands. What did they say they would do about the Lord's commands? Now, we will follow them completely, Lord. <laughs> like, we'll do everything that you said. Nope, that's not true. A month and a half later, they are going the opposite direction. And then what was it that God specifically told them to watch out for? Idols. Like, don't build idols. And what's the very first thing they ask for? Idols. Idols. It's like both of those things they just go right against. And then here's a big question for me. Like, what in the world is Aaron doing with them in the first place? Where was he supposed to be? He's supposed to be on the side of the mountain, worshiping God, waiting for Moses to come back down. So what is Aaron doing with the people? What is going on here? Like, why, are the, why did the people lose hope? I'm going to tell you why the people lost hope. Because the leaders lost hope. Something happened in the leader's heart. They were supposed to wait on the side of the mountain for God, and they decided, let's give for Moses, and they gave it up. And they said, you know, this guy must be burning his flesh must, must be like a crisp up on top of that mountain with the fire and the cloud. And Aaron's heart literally has changed. So look what he's, here's how we know that. Because in verse 2 through 4 it says, so Aaron said, take the gold rings from your ears, guys. Okay, you want to make this idol? Take the gold rings from your ears um, uh, of your wives, your sons, your daughters, and bring them to me. And all the people took the gold rings, you know, from their ears and brought them to Aaron. And then look what he does. Then Aaron took the gold. Let, just read this part with me because you're going to need to know this. Then Aaron took the gold and he did what? He melted it down and he molded it into the shape of a calf. Aaron did that, right? Did you all see that in scripture? Okay, you're going to need to know that. Because when the people saw it, here's what they did. All of them, including Aaron, they exclaimed, Oh, Israel, these are the gods who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. These are the gods who did that. Without hesitation, Aaron says, sure, give me all your gold. Let's make an idol. I'll do it myself. He molds it and he shapes it and he does it. Now, just days before that, Aaron was on the side of the mountain. He looked up and he saw God. Days before this. And now he's making golden idols. And Aaron, with his own mouth, is also saying that these are the gods who brought us up out of Egypt. This is crazy, people. This is crazy. They get to see God, and a month and a half later, they're already making idols to worship other gods. And by the way, all the time they're doing that in the valley, up on top of the mountain, is a supernatural mountain that's still shaking, smoke's billowing off of it, and fire's blazing on top of it. That doesn't happen every day. And for 47 days, and they're in the valley while that's happening on the mountaintop? So then Moses after those days, comes back down off the mountain. 
Well, you can only imagine how he felt about all this. As he comes back down, he sees the people and he hears them singing and dancing. And, you know, they're, they're, you know, in their religious motion of worshiping these other gods. And he is ticked and he takes the stone tablets that God had just given him. God wrote with his own hand. Boom! Shatters them into pieces. Goes and gets the golden calf. Burns it down into ash and throws it into the lake. And just does away with it. And then, then Moses goes to the leader. He goes to Aaron and he says this to him. Finally, he turned to Aaron and he demanded, like, Aaron, get over here, right? Like, what do these people do to you to make you bring such terrible sin upon them? He basically goes, you're the leader. You brought it. Like, you did this, Aaron. I know you did it. So, but Aaron says, don't get so upset, my Lord. Aaron replied, you yourself, you know how evil these people are. Very first thing he does, what does he do? Blame the people. Blame others. Like, it's the people. The people, they're so horrible. You know, Moses. It's such a bad assignment to lead these people. Right? But then he went on to say these words. Just a couple verses later in 24. So, this is Aaron speaking. So I told them this, Moses. Whoever has gold jewelry, take it off. And when they brought it to me, I simply threw it into the fire and it came out as a calf. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us that Moses knew that Aaron was lying. But basically, Aaron is saying this. Hey, while you're up on the mountain having this crazy supernatural experience with God, same thing happened down here in the valley, man. I just threw it in there. Boom, out comes the calf. It was supernatural. And he lies right to the face of Moses. Can you believe that? This is so baffling. Moses comes off the mountain with this kind of like upset attitude already because God was the one who told him on top of the mountain that people were already doing this. He doesn't come off the mountain, you know, naive. He comes off the mountain very knowledgeable. God's speaking to him. So here we are. Aaron's lied to him. Moses goes on to purify the people with severe punishment. You'll have to read it if you really want to see what that is because I got to move on. But... He purifies the people with punishment, and then he ends up climbing the mountain a fifth time. He gets the Ten Commandments again from the Lord. He comes off the mountain, and that's when his face is shining like a bright light. So if that's what you were going, when does that happen? Well, that happens next. And Moses finally gets the second copy of the Ten Commandments, and he comes and he meets with the people. So what is this story really all about? Like, what are we going to glean from this? What does it mean really for us as a people, us and the mountain. What is it really saying to us? Here's a few things. First off would be this for us. Just because you had one encounter with God doesn't mean that you're going to remain faithful. All right, so the people, they saw the mountain become supernatural with God's presence. Right, the people, they heard the voice of God. The leaders, they saw God. Moses, he's been meeting with God multiple times. But what did the people and the leaders do? The people and the leaders, they still turn away from God. You can have all of this manifestation of the supernatural power of the presence of God and a month and a half later just be completely off the deep end in sin. Jesus was dealing with the same thing when he walked the earth. In fact, he said this to people. He goes, unless you people see miracles, miraculous signs and wonders, Jesus told them, you will never believe. Basically, like, I'm, if, for you to believe, I'm going to have to keep performing supernatural act after supernatural act after supernatural act after supernatural act. 
And that's what was happening with the Israelites in the desert. God had performed some supernatural acts. They were like, whoa, (laughs) man, we better listen to you. We'll always do what you say. But then a month and a half later, they're over there and they're worshiping other idols. So you and me, we need to be very careful when we chase just the miraculous and we chase just the supernatural and that becomes our number one focus when it comes to knowing God and experiencing God, we really do truly expose our immaturity. Now from a church that is more Pentecostal, I'll let that sink in for a second. That when that's what we chase primarily is the miraculous and the supernatural, we expose the true spiritual immaturity that's within us. Jesus wants us to not hunger after those things first. He wants us to hunger after his word. And he wants us to hunger after an, an internal interaction, very personal inner interaction with the Holy Spirit of God in our life. And then to make ourselves available for the supernatural. I'm not going to leave the supernatural out. He said, I'm going to put it in its right place. Like, if that's what we need to sustain spiritual, spiritual life, you're going to fall. You're going to fail. Every month and a half, you're just going to be, boom, nosedive, nosedive, nosedive. You're going to be like the roller coaster spiritual person. You're going to have these big highs and these super bad lows. And some of the bad lows can last a long time. And some of them you'll never recover from. But if you pursue God through his word, you'll sustain life. You pursue God through the inner interaction of his Holy Spirit in your life, you'll sustain life. And then when the supernatural and the miraculous comes, it only adds fuel to the fire. That's, that's one of the things we need to glean from this passage. Here's another thing that we as a group need to glean. And that is that leadership consistency matters. Being consistent as a leader, it matters. When Aaron left his post on the side of the mountain and he ends up among the people, he instantaneously starts spreading a message of despair amongst the people. Now, the Bible doesn't say that he does that verbally because it doesn't have to. It does it physically. That when a leader leaves his post, a leader instantaneously sends a message of where they're committed and what they're doing. And when Aaron leaves his post and he comes among the people and the people start asking questions, Aaron, where's God? Like you were on the mountain with the leaders and now all the leaders are with us, but there's no Moses. So there's no Moses. Where's Moses at? And Aaron has to say this to them. I don't know. Last time I saw him, he was on top of that mountain. You look up at that mountain. He doesn't have to say anything beyond that. All the people then start taking that information and they start reeling it in their own hearts until we get to Exodus 32, verse 1, where the people literally said they had lost hope. People lost hope because the leaders lost hope. Leadership consistency matters. And when we lose hope, it's a domino effect that starts penetrating down through the generations or through your leadership influence. So 1 Corinthians 15 says this, it says, so, my dear brothers and sisters, be what? Be strong and what? Immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing that you do for the Lord is ever useless. For you and me, leadership consistency matters. We, we need to be people that are strong in what we believe and what? Immovable immovable like we will stay the course we will be good soldiers let me just tell you what a good soldier does good soldier marches to the last orders that they were given until they're given new orders that's what they do 
Even if it takes them into the line of fire and a, and a potential death, Jeff? Yes. That's what good soldiers do. Good soldiers say, I was given the order, I'm going to fulfill the order. Even if it brings pain and suffering to me. So church, we can't leave our post. Leadership consistency matters. As a Christian, you are leading spiritual life change in our community. If we slide, they slide. If we fall away from our post, we fall away from the standard that God's put before us, then we can't complain when the rest of our community does the same thing. Like God wants us to use our leadership, our Christ-centered influence to maintain his standard. And when we come away from that, then our culture shifts. And that's one of the things we're experiencing as a nation. So what is God calling us back to? He's calling us back to his standard. You don't need to go above his standard. You definitely shouldn't be below his standard. God is asking us to live his standard. And then let that influence bring the rest of the community along. Let me just say something else to another two groups of people here at our church. The first group, those that are of the legacy age and have the potential to be some of the most spiritually mature people in our church. Let me just say this to you. You, you can't let your, uh, your fire, you, you can't leave your post. You, you, can't, you can't settle for something less in the last years. You gotta, settle, you gotta be searching after something greater in the last years. Like you, you can't just leave, end your years of life being a taker. You have to end your years of life being a giver. And you can't leave your post. Like you gotta stay passionate for God. You can't let it wean. Right? Stay passionate for God all the way to the end and be, be a giver. Don't just barricade yourself with just other people that are just like you, that are of your same age. Like one of the most practical things you can do is get yourself into a life group with younger families so that you can actually be a giver and not just a taker. And that's part of what it means to let our leadership consistency matter all the way to the end. We need you. We need you. Don't just barricade with others of your same age. Get in, get in life. I know that means that you're going to have to give up some of those friendships. I got it. But end life as a giver, not a taker. Here's another one, though, about spiritual consistency. That second group I wanted to speak to is parents. Parents. It matters the way you lead your children. When you come off the side of the mountain, when you lower the standard, here's what happens with your kids. They're more likely to take the standard and take it even farther down. That's what happens when we come off the mountain. Aaron came off the mountain. It's not that he gave up on God. Aaron wasn't the one who initiated idol worship. He was the one who facilitated it like a weak leader. Right? What did the people do when Aaron left his post? The people went to idol worship. What happens when parents leave their post? Children go even farther. Parents, I'm just saying to you, hold the course. Maintain a Christ-centered course. You feel like you're swimming upstream? You feel like you're going against the grain? I got it. I understand it. I I raised four kids. Maintain the course. Because if you maintain the course, you have a better chance of keeping Christ-centered hope in the family. Amen? Amen. Wow. All right, so what does it say then about you and the mountain? Let's just get very personal for a moment. You and the mountain. Here's the first thing. Always maintain your hope in God's timing. Always maintain it in God's timing. I know there's going to be times when you think God should have already done something and you're going to be concerned about it. There's going to be times when you think God should have already done it and you're going to complain about it. But it's okay to have your concerns and your complaints. 
But when God's not working in your timing, please make sure that you're taking that with others, like in a life group, taking it to the Lord in prayer as well. Not just getting frustrated and giving up on God like the Israelites did a month and a half later. Like that's not the action we should take. We should take more of the action that the psalmist tells us to take, which is wait patiently for the Lord, be brave and courageous even when things aren't working the way you think they should work, and yes, wait patiently for the Lord. Like waiting patiently for the Lord would have been the much better move for the Israelites than to instantly take all their gold and turn it into a calf and say, the calf is what split the Red Sea. The calf is what brought the plagues. The calf is what led us out of Egypt. The, the calf is the one that's done it all. I don't know what's happening supernaturally on top of that mountain, but the calf, see, wait patiently for the Lord and you always get the best. God's timing matters. Always keep your hope in God's timing. Here's another thing for you though. And that's this, always maintain a healthy fear of the Lord. Like when the people, right, when the people heard God's voice, they instantaneously had a respect for God. That's the fear of the Lord that increased within them. That's what caused them to say, hey, look, we don't want to hear God's voice, Moses. You speak to God. Like you be the mediator between us and God. But Moses said to the people, by the way, in the scriptures, he said to them, hey, guys, you feeling this fear right now is a good thing. You having this healthy respect for the Lord, it's a great thing. Why? Because it's going to help you stay away from sin. That's what Moses told the people. And for you and me, maintaining a healthy fear, a reverence, and awe, a respect of the power and the might of God will help us maintain a righteous and a holy life. But even though Moses said that to them, a month and a half later, they were down in sin. So what does it tell us? You can know all the right things, but if you're not practicing it, in your heart, you'll drift away from it. Staying close to God. Stay close to God. Go back to what Jesus was driving home, right? Get, get in the word. Stay close to God. Stay close to God. It's not a, it can't just be a monthly thing. It can't, be a, it can't be a weekly thing. It has to be a daily thing. Stay close to God or otherwise we will drift away from the fear and the awe of God into sin and then sin will do its course and it will take us farther away from God. So in just wrapping this up, I got a couple of thoughts for you. Just remember this as an overarching theme of this message, that a relationship with God is way more than a manifestation of God or a supernatural act of God in your life. It's way more than that. If that's all that it was, then the Israelites would have been the most passionate, closest, most committed people to the Lord ever because they saw more manifestations and more supernatural things than any other people that I can read of in the Bible. But that wasn't the case. In fact, they were the most sinful and drifted away from God. So manifestations and supernatural acts of God's presence, they can become literally addicting to us as humans. And we can easily start seeking after the hand of God versus the face of God or the heart of God. We can start seeking after what God will do for us versus who God is. And let's remember from this passage, folks, that when you read all of these chapters together... And you put all of the interaction that God's having with man, God's presence among the people was way more about the practical instructions that he wanted to give them and way less about a feeling or something supernatural, by the way. You add up the evidence, way more about the practical that God was trying to insert into humanity than about a feeling or some supernatural thing that was happening. And lastly, God's presence that doesn't dwell on a mountain anymore. Thankfully, you don't have to hop on a jet, go to the Middle East, climb some mountain in the Middle East to talk with God. That's good news, by the way, that the presence of God is dwelling within the heart of every believer that's here today, and it's called his Holy Spirit. 
And God wants us to get close to him right now. That you can call on him and you can get close to him. So my challenge for you today is this. Let's climb the mountain today. During this worship, we're going to have like three songs, spend some time in worship for these next few minutes. Let's climb the mountain and let's get into the presence of God today. And let's let God speak to our heart through his spirit. Like God has spoke to our heart through his word today. And let's draw close to God so that we can go down into the valley and live the life that God's called us to live. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. So Lord, we come before you today as a people confessing our brokenness. We confess our tendency to, uh, of sin, our tendency of you know, self and our own uh, self-will and our own self-strength leading us. Lord, we confess those things and we ask you, Lord, to be our strength. We ask you to be our savior. We ask you to show up in this place and to meet with us one-on-one to meet with us heart to heart, spirit to spirit. We ask for you to, like you've taken your word, Lord, I just pray that your word will have spoke life to us. It would remind us of who we are and how we need to live. Protect us from ourselves, Lord. We are our people who, we, we just desire the supernatural. We desire, we desire the, the tingly feeling. Uh, we desire for the heavens to open up and the thunder to shake and, you know, for the supernatural to happen. We all do. And Lord, we know you have the power to do anything. But Lord, may we be people that just hunger after your heart more than we hunger after those things. And then when you do display your might and your power... Lord, that will just like add fuel to our passion, fuel to our, our story. So Lord, we, we give you obviously the authority to do whatever you want in this place. We're just saying, Lord, we want to be the people that say, yeah, we will follow your commands completely. We just want to be the people, Lord, a month and a half from now, that we're still living that way. And three years from now, we're more passionate about living it than ever before. And for some of us, 20 years from now, We're influencing so many others to live that way. So Lord, let our church be on fire for you. May we experience your presence so that our community might know you as Lord and as Savior as well. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.